0: f1 show as well so until tomorrow have a great day see you soon bye in a world where radio stations are 10 a penny can i have 10 radio stations please that'll be a penny lad. thank you there is one radio station there
1: can be only one There can be only one
0: there can be only one that stands out from the crowd
1: I want that one!
2: Alright, what is this thing? It's River Radio. It can be only one!
0: One that's made entirely of It's all about it's you. said that. It's all about Hey
1: there, good to be here again on River Radio. I'm Deborah Fielding and this is Your Life Your Way. What a week I've had. What about you? What's been going on for you? I've had a ton of life this week. Uh, Some amazing, some amazingly sad, in fact, and it's how life is. Uh, Sharing that with others, well, it keeps you just about sane, right? And that's what we do on this show. Share with others and keep ourselves, well, incredibly sane, actually. Uh, Let me know your messages. Message me right now and tell me how you're doing this week. And that email address is deborah at river.radio. I'm here every week sorting life out, chatting with you about this and that and... You already know it's my favourite time of the week. So uh, let's say thanks to McFly with All About You. Um, They open our show every week. And we are big storytellers here on Your Life, Your Way. Your stories, true stories, and it's the way we live our lives. Understanding one another's stories and lives together, learning and being amazing. So, we start the show off with the glory of the story. It's a great guest slot where you can hear a story about your guest that will be both true and owned by them, which means it isn't anybody else's story but theirs. And this week's guest has a huge story, huge. They don't come much bigger. He's a master storyteller, and you simply don't want to miss that out. So, straight after Glory of the Story, we have What's in a Word, where we're getting under the hood of life, one word at a time. Uh, drop me a message to tell me where you are in the world as well. We're listening from, gosh, everywhere. We've full throttle down the Thames Valley, uh, stretching near and far. We've had Las Vegas, Atlanta, New Zealand on the map, and then this week you can include Turkey, Italy, and Canada into that list. Welcome to you all. So, are you going to write in this morning? Come on, you know you want to. That address is Deborah at River.Radio. You know, I love to get your messages. In fact, the last section of my show could be pretty darn quiet without you. It's Q&A Your Way, where we get your lovely questions in. We're wrapping that up with some beautiful music. And here we go. So I wondered that you heard the great Jenny Tishy from River Radio, who was on my show talking about taking her opportunities and being brave and getting on with it. Uh, She was amazing, wasn't she? And if you didn't hear her, you can listen again on the podcast um, by searching for Deborah Fielding and River Radio. It's a great show, so make sure you do listen in, um, especially if you're looking to stride out in a new direction. Uh, now, I'm talking about being brave and taking your life on, my next guest knows how to do that with bells on. His exceptional story has been told many times, but to be honest, you can learn and hear something new every single time. And there's been so much conjecture written about him, it's always best, as you know, to get it straight from the horse's mouth. So, my next guest on Your Life Your Way is none other than the astonishingly fabulous Gerald Ratner. Welcome to the show, Gerald.
2: Thank you, Deborah.
1: Lovely to be here in Marlow. Yes. So, Gerald, you're famous for the Ratners' jewellery empire. In fact, the Ratners group owned all the high street jewelers at one point. And unless you were an independent, there was Ratners, H. Samuel, Ernest Jones, Leslie Davis watches of Switzerland, Switzerland, and over a thousand shops in America too. I understand. Um, but be- before we find out about that, can you tell us a little bit about your family and who you are?
2: Well, I was born in Richmond over a dentist shop which really hasn't done anything for my teeth and my father opened his first shop there in Richmond although it's quite an affluent place today, it wasn't the case in 1949 and my mother worked in the shop with him and she was pregnant with me while she was serving customers. So you could say that I was, uh, it's in my blood, I was born into it. And uh, he did very well, expanded the business. uh, But unfortunately, he became quite ill in the late 70s. And he really, all his drive and success went away. He became the opposite. He had a sort of brain hemorrhage. um, And the business went into loss, and I felt, as I'd been working in it for 10 years behind the counter and all different parts of it, that unless I took it over uh, or, or there was a dramatic change, um, that we would basically go bust. So that was when I, I took over in 1984 and looked at the situation and could see clearly that we were going in the wrong direction. We were too upmarket. Um, a lot of retailers at that time were doing very well, like Next, Topshop, Dixons, because they were catering for the young. Uh, the demographics were such then in the eighties, very different today, where all the old people have got the money. It was the youngsters between 60 and twenty-four, and we weren't catering for them. So I changed uh, the way we operated, and um, if you like, made the made um, the product much more affordable started selling cheaper earrings and gold chains. The beauty with gold is that you can thin it out. It's very pliable. You could roll a little bit of gold from here to Edinburgh. Uh, so we made less, you know, the, the the product had less gold content but looked the same, and it was hugely successful. Uh, the thing about retail is if you make a change, uh, you can start getting results very quickly. And we transformed a loss of 34,000 that year to a profit of £2 million. Uh, And that was put us on the road, basically, to start acquiring the companies that you talked about, like H Samuel and Watch the Switzerland, Ernest Jones, uh, because of the fact that they were still living in the past, like we were uh, under my father. Uh, but we'd changed, and, and, and it was very successful formula.
1: Well, I just wonder, because um, obviously we've got the big uh, time of your your... Um, ownership at Ratner's and the jewelry side of things. But I want to just find out what were the months before the 23rd of April 1991 like for you? You know, what kind of what was your life like at that point?
2: Well, the day before the 23rd of April, we'd announced profits of 125 million pounds, which today is like a billion pound profit, which is massive. Yeah. I don't think there's any retailer. Tesco, Mark, well, maybe Tesco, but not Marks and Spencers, and very few retailers making that sort of profit. So we were really with two and a half thousand shops, twenty-five thousand employees, and they were fat, going for two hundred million in, in the year, despite the fact there was a recession on. Um, so you know, I was at the top of my game. Um, I was retailer of the Year. Uh, we were one of the few retailers to succeed in America. The thousand shops there. Uh, basically because we didn't um, export our formula, however successful it was, to the States. We we acquired local management and ex- rolled out their operation. Uh, it's a totally different business in America. Um, basically, everything was sold on credit. The average ticket price was much higher. So there was no point in trying to expand. We'd already expanded into Holland unsuccessfully because it was a different market there. For a start, they don't celebrate Christmas, which is a bit of a downside when uh, (laughs) it's the only time we make any money. So uh, we learned our lesson. We succeeded in America. Everything was going great. That's why I was invited to the um, Albert Hall uh, Institute of Directors because they tended to um, invite somebody who was um, doing well, you know, who's Flavour of the Month, which I was.
1: Yeah. And so, um, on a personal level, you were living the high life, and life was running pretty great. You were invited mm. to this, that, and the other. So I expect you were f- full out, full on schedule, um, going to the states a lot. What What were you doing?
2: Yeah, you had to visit the states. The shops there. We had. Uh, in, in, everyone said, "Well, I had my own private plane," but it, I did. But it wasn't the luxury that you think it was because in America, if you've got a thousand shops. Uh, You have to have a plane. You don't, in the UK, that's another thing that's different between America and the UK. It's much bigger. So, if you wanted to go down to Florida or you wanted to go up to uh, Ohio or, you know, New York or anywhere like that or Texas the next minute, um, you'd have to go by plane. So, everything, we did everything, you know, on on the private jet. I made the mistake, actually, of trying to replicate that in the UK by buying a helicopter, Um, and again, it proves the difference between America and the UK. In America, we could land our plane wherever we wanted uh, with no red tape or hassle, and in in the UK, even a a helicopter, uh, everywhere we wanted to land, we couldn't land, so I ended up landing miles from the shops. I mean, The managers were sort of making fun of me as well. They were saying they were going to paint a... A white H on top of the shop because they heard I got a (laughs) helicopter. But
1: here he comes.
2: (laughs) Yeah, but no. The reason was that I like to drop in um, unannounced because there's no point in uh, telling the manager or the area manager that you're going to visit their shop because you know they roll the red carpet out and everything's perfect. Um, You want to see it as the customer would see it, so you know that's why I got the helicopter just to arrive at any, you know, with unannounced and unexpected. Problem with that is often the manager was, was his day off, but anyway, that's, uh, that's problems.
1: <laughs> so, um, flashing on to the 23rd of April, I yeah. mean, I don't know whether this is a usual response mm-hmm. you get from people, but it's a bit where really I kind of laugh my head off at what you said, yeah. um, in disbelief also, what came next. So, um, go for it. Tell us what, what you said on that day.
2: Oh, it's taken you only about six minutes to get here. That's quite yeah. Good, we've got it? a
1: lot to do. we've got a lot to cover after you. see. Although
2: well, you mentioned that after <laughs> two or three minutes, which is par for the course, it's normally after one minute. But um, I was I was quite nervous because there were six thousand people at the Royal Albert Hall. It's quite a big yeah thing. Um, other speakers were President De Clerk of South Africa. And um, Norman Lamont and Chancellor, so you know it was quite a high profile thing. Oh,
1: what was the event?
2: It was the Institute of Directors annual conference, which right. they have every year to this day. Yeah, and they keep mentioning me because I made quite a, <laughs> a
1: an mark, impact. Impact, yeah. There. yeah. Uh,
2: they use me in their advertising. In fact, if you do a tour of the Royal Albert Hall, they will mention <laughs> my speech there. So, um, anyway, so I arrive early because, you know, I didn't want to take any chances. And there was a whole committee, a welcome committee. They told me to go to Door 14, the Albert Hall, and there was a whole welcoming committee, uh, royalty even. But it wasn't actually for me. It was for President de Klerk, because I'd arrived too early in his slot. But anyway, they didn't want to be rude. And and I thought, oh, God, this is making things worse. You know, it's put more pressure on me. But anyway, did the speech didn't think anything was untoward about it because everyone laughed i put the two jokes in which was one of them was that we sell a pair of earrings for 99p gold earrings which is the same price as a mark and spencer's prawn sandwich but the sandwich would probably last longer than the earrings (laughs) would have got away with that because that's quite funny but then i made the joke um that we sell a sherry decanter complete with six glasses on a silver-plated tray that your butler could serve you, and it only cost uh, £12.99. So far, so good. So far, so good. How can we sell that? This is when it goes downhill a bit. (laughs) How can we sell that for such a low price? Uh, Because it's total crap. So uh, I put those jokes in at the last minute on somebody's recommendation uh, because they saw a draft of the speech and felt that it needed the jokes, which I'd used before, they'd been printed before, yeah. Um, and, and everybody took them the way they were as, a, as something a bit of fun but this was 1991 it was a recession looming the Daily Mirror decided that this was making fun of customers um, they were, you know I knew the Daily Mirror was there I knew that um, they'd had a copy of the speech which you had to give all the press in advance so all this nonsense about me saying it you know caught on camera all that rubbish i was well aware that they but i thought you know they'd take it the way it was um but of course they didn't and and the next day they were very disingenuous and the headline was basically that i'd said about all my jewelry and the, and i built my success the headline built my success on crap and it was totally different from what I I was trying to get across uh, but that often is the case with the tabloids
1: um, Well I can clearly remember all of that happening and I'd actually bought my first home I was running my first business at the time I was just about to open my second mm. business and I can remember laughing at your audacity at the time mm. um because I like an audacious personality uh but the fallout was absolutely colossal um how soon did the wheels start to fall off?
2: Well, we didn't have any social media, but the son, who weren't even doing the story, uh, it was the Mirror that were doing it, They decided to do it. And, and I've heard since that apparently the journalist in question was annoyed with me because I'd fired his niece and he was going to get his own, but he'd promised her he was going to get his own back on me. Crikey. Um, The fact that I employed 27,000 people more than the Royal Navy and I never met his niece, um, and I had nothing to do with her dismissal. No. um, But that's what I did. I I, I mean, he's been boasting about that uh, since. So anyway, The Sun copied the Mirror story overnight because I'd bought The Sun because I was beginning to be suspicious because I'd gone out for dinner that evening and there were journalists outside the restaurant. So I was beginning to get a bit worried and I bought the copy of the sun and there was nothing in it, but they changed their copy when they saw the daily mirror overnight. And, um, in those days, the sun had a circulation of about 17 million. Today it's 3 million. That's said, you know, that, that audience has now gone to social media, uh, as is the mirrors. And they were on about 12 million. So, um, Nevertheless, not everybody knew about the story on day one. So it did, you know, unlike today where news travels like lightning speed.
1: But uh, the difference there, actually, is you were at the mercy of one person's words. Whereas now with social media, there is people, there's arguments here, there and everywhere. There's a balance goes on. There's people kind of saying, well, that's not quite how it was meant. And whereas you didn't have that opportunity back then, did you? Nobody was standing in your corner.
2: No, and people say to me, would it have been different, social media? um, And and the fact is that, you know, you have somebody doing a Ratna every week. I mean, the Halifax last week. um, And that was, I I got more mentions than the Halifax, um, (laughs) which is normally (laughs) the case. Um, But these things now, because social media don't carry the weight, you know, Twitter and stuff like that, because there's going to be another story just as big coming along Pretty soon after and it's forgotten about
1: yeah and there's um, certainly far worse things going on than what you yeah. said yeah
2: but it was different in those days because there was less less of this so they were focusing just on this and there was a lot of talk about this I mean I, I, a, a stockbroker I I happen to have arranged a meeting in America for to show them my American operation uh, the following week and uh, she arrived and told me that the taxi driver was talking about this all the way to Heathrow Airport, you know, and as we didn't have social media, people were talking about it in the pubs and over the fence, and it was one of the main topics of conversation, and it was in every comedian's repertoire, and it was on things like, you know, have I got news for you, and on the radio, all that sort kind of stuff. Ken Dodd, um, speeches at weddings. It was everywhere at the time, and of course... So it took a while. Um, it got worse and worse. It took a while to start affecting our sales because on the day after the speech, we were only about 5% down. And I thought, if we were only 5% down on the day after the speech. It will wear away. But it, the opposite happened and it started. Ratner started going 15% down, 25% down. And then the word was that I owned H. Samuel, which nobody knew before that. It was very important. That we kept that, you know, we didn't advertise the fact that we owned all the jewellers. We wanted to think that, you know, we're all in competition with each other. Um, and, and when they discovered I owned H. Samuel, I think that the top end, the diamond ring started suffering. People were still buying watches and cheap earrings and stuff, chains, but, you know, they wouldn't give a diamond ring to the fiancé from Ratner's or possibly not H. Samuel. You don't ever know, really. How it affected us because we were also in the middle of a massive recession. Um, But nevertheless, um, diamond rings are your most profitable line. And um, cut a long story short, I mean, uh, we didn't make the 200 million pound profit. In fact, you know, we didn't make anything. No. Um, And that was really the end for me because of the fact that you started building up debt and you're not bringing in any profit to pay back the debt the banks are on your back um i brought in a chairman to um deal with the banks i was advised and this is again just like i was advised to put those jokes in you know i've learned now not to just take advice willy-nilly uh, make up your own mind and you know I was advised by this by the city and one particular person who was chairman of um of huge public company that the city still had confidence that I could run a the shops or recover from this but I needed a chairman to steady the banks and and the investors and stuff like that so I did I and he recommended this guy and um it was the worst 18 months of my life because he started closing shops, changing the name to Signet of the group and um, firing people. And really, it was just like working for my father again. It was awful. And then at the end of that, he fired me anyway. So um, I was just in a in a very uh, bad place. Yeah, a dark place.
1: Mm. I can't just imagine the weight of that on your shoulders and how you ever think you're going to come out of it because it's it's kind of going on and on and on. It's not, There's no respite from it um, and that's hard mentally, isn't it?
2: Yeah, well, not only did I lose all my money um, because the shares, all my money was in shares and they were £4.20 and they went to 2p and then I started getting tax bills, got a million pound tax bill for, sh- for share options which were now worthless but they weren't when I converted them. Um, so... Not only had I lost all my money, I'd lost my reputation as well. So as the Sunday Times nicely put it, I was unemployable. Um, and, and it wasn't, a, a, you know, not only had I lost all the money, I had this stigma around me, toxic, um, which again wasn't particularly true when I went out to the real world. But this is the problem of, just listening to the media, it's a bit like at the moment, you know, everything is doom and gloom. But when you're out there, out and about, it's not quite as bad. Um, when you're just listening to it all, and people are painting this yeah. miserable picture, it's far worse. Uh,
1: and and uh, what I f- feel or sense from you is, had you have been left to your own devices, you could have turned the ship and made it sail again rather than being dragged down by other people in actual fact
2: it was very difficult in fairness for me to turn the ship around because of the fact that ratners clearly had this toxic brand now after being this fabulous brand that everybody wanted to come shop to and yeah
1: there and, was ratners everywhere i remember it really clearly yeah.
2: and the staff love working for a su- successful company we were our shares had gone up more than any other uh, company on the s- stock market for two years running. We were phenom- we were growing at a, a like topsy, um, and then the reverse happened. So, um, it was going to be it was going to be very difficult to turn it around because to get rid of this crap, uh, you know, jewelry, everything is the brand, like Tiffany's or something like that. It's not like the supermarkets where. You buy, where well, you go to Aldi, you'd buy a tin of baked beans or um Lurpak butter. Well, you wouldn't buy Lurpak butter at the moment because it's £9.75. This is a ridiculous <laughs> world we live in, but I deviate. Uh, but, you know, they buy all the brands. You can buy them from Tesco or you could buy them from Waitrose. It doesn't really, okay, Waitrose got a bit of a brand, but Asda, Tesco, which doesn't really make a lot of difference. But in jewellery... You don't have those brands. Jewellery is not branded. So the brand is the name on the top, uh, whether it's H. Samuel or Ratner's or Ernest Jones or Goldsmith's or Beaverbrook's. So that is why it's very important. And the Ratner's brand was probably damaged for life because the story was so big. Nobody was going to get down on one knee. Uh, and offer their fiance a diamond ring from Ratner's, no. to be oh. perfectly blunt about that. Okay. So, in fairness, I, it would have been difficult. But then again, the Ratner's was only a small part of the group. So, whether I could have turned H. Samuel around, uh, Ernest Jones didn't really suffer, America didn't really suffer. Uh, well, yeah, I probably could have because today that company, which everybody says went bust, is a a £3.5 billion company and is the largest jewellers in America. Uh, They haven't done so well here with H. Samuel and Ernest Jones, but America's done phenomenally well.
1: So we're going to take some music. And one of my favourite things about today, apart from having you as my guest, is that number one in the charts at the time was Chesney Hawkes with I Am the One and Only. We're taking you right back here on River Radio. Welcome back to River Radio, where my guest today is none other than Gerald Ratner. And we've been listening to Gerald and finding out about that fateful day on the 23rd of April, 1991. That was Chesney Hawks, which was number one in 1991. So I often say, um, I think it's a joke, but I'm not so sure today that we need two hours on this show. And we really do. Um, But Gerald, how did you pick yourself back up? From that situation,
2: Well, not very <laughs> quickly. <laughs> um, as you could imagine, I gave up and went into a deep depression um, and sort of lay in bed for about seven years, thinking that everything would be okay. I don't know why I thought that. Um,
1: well, because it <clears throat> is and it. Eventually it is. But I think haven't Mm. you got to decide that in yourself and you had a lot to work through.
2: Yeah, uh, but um, in the end, my wife, sometimes you do need somebody to give you a kick up the backside. You do. And um, she threatened to throw me out because of the fact that I was not working and we would got into debt. Um, We're going through a difficult time, to say the least. So um, the one thing that was making me feel a bit better was cycling, uh, cycling 25 miles a day, which I still do to this day. So there's always a silver lining in these things. And um, I could see the benefits of health and fitness um, because I was amazed at how it was the only thing that was making me feel sane and also think clearly. So I decided I want to go into that business, into health and fitness and uh, open up a club near here, actually, um, in Henley. Uh, of I didn't have any money, uh, but I blagged my way into telling people that it would be opening in three months. All I did was put it in solicitors' hands um, on the basis that um, I would sign up shortly. Um, just had to arrange certain things, just like when you're buying a house, just like you're in a chain, you can walk away any time. I would have walked away, um, but if I hadn't sold any membership, because my plan was to sell membership before I'd signed up. And if I didn't sign up, I would, uh, if sorry, if I didn't sell membership, I wouldn't I wouldn't go through with the completion of it. Well, I couldn't. So, um, but I did, I put an advert in the Henley Standard. I got 800 people to sign up to it. And that enabled me to actually get the, the bank loan to uh, buy it. And it was very successful. And I sold it Two and a half years later for four million pounds, uh, which got me well on the way uh, back into business. I put in two million of that into an online business which then started turning over 25 pounds uh, 25 million pounds uh, and then I started doing speeches uh, talking about this and that was also very lucrative because I was doing about 150 a year. Uh, and as you know, corporate speaking, as you were in that business. I was. Uh, in fact, you gave me a couple of speeches. I did. Which I very that's much, how we
1: know each other. Yeah.
2: That's how we met, uh, which I very much appreciate and uh, really enjoyed. And also, you know, as I was saying earlier, that this unpopularity, which I thought I had, looking at Twitter and reading the newspapers, was not actually true when I went out uh, to these events and met people in hotels and conferences and um, the opposite was true and I got a very warm reception in fact I went back to the Royal Albert Hall in 2003 um, to do well it wasn't a speech it was more like what they called a fireside chat and was an interview and I got a standing ovation from all the members, but then again, those 6,000 directors gave me a standing ovation when I met, originally yeah. did the speech. So, um uh, but they really did, you know, they do like a story where somebody, you know, has fallen and come back or somebody speaks their mind, which I didn't really speak my mind. I was just making a joke, but um anyway, so that I could then start thinking, well, this, you know, I could use when there's like something in the in the press today that said that all publicity is good publicity unless you're Gerald Ratner that often comes up (laughs) and I'm always the one that is they never say unless you're somebody else it's always Gerald Ratner
1: but what what's really interesting to me is that you spent as you like to say seven years in bed um, no doubt giving yourself hell mentally and a real hard time, and yet when you stepped out into the world, it wasn't really like that. And so, it's a heartbreak, really, that we beat ourselves up so badly.
2: Well, it's far. You difficult. could have made
1: it like three and a half years instead of <laughs> seven, maybe.
2: Well, it's far difficult avoiding a problem and not facing it head on. Yeah, there is an expression. Well,
1: because it's not the same when you face it head on. Is it? It's not as no. you, do, you know you demonize it in your head to be so enormous.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm going to get this completely wrong, this quotation, but there is something <laughs> about when fear knocked at the door and you answered it, there was no one there. Right. And and But unless you answer it, you will sit in fear all that time.
1: Completely. Yeah. And, and, I mean, that breaks my heart in a way to hear that you spent seven years in bed and good on your wife for giving you a bit of a boot because the Gerald Ratner that you are was always still there and mm. you managed that's to walk right. into business easily and you used your chutzpah to kind of bring that about, which is super brave of you, after mm. the lashing you took.
2: Yeah, that's right. The old Gerald uh, reemerged, but uh, as you say, it was seven years of um, basically not realising that I could get back on my feet because yeah. I was listening to the media... Uh, who are always completely negative. And
1: wanting to put you down, yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean, they wanted to build me up in the first place. Yeah, so they could pull you off, yeah. yeah. And everyone said they would do that, and I thought, no, because it's too obvious, but that's exactly what they do.
1: Yeah. It's kind of insane, really, that we default to the worst in us. I always find that so sad, and especially in this particular story for me, that you defaulted to the worst part of you that probably didn't really exist. You made it up to be so much bigger in your head. Um, So you strode out and I think you've said a a million times to me personally as well that uh, cycling's been your absolute saviour. I really do need to take a leaf out of your book at some point. Um, And you still do that to to this day. In fact, you came round a corner one day and I was scared to death to knock you off your your bike. But um, I've seen you out and about tonnes of times.
2: Yes, well, Marlowe is part of my uh, route. Um, I'm a bit uh, sort of uh, anal in terms of having exactly the same route every day. Uh, I can't be bothered with sort of trying to come up with new ones. (laughs) It's just the 25 miles I need to do. I listen to my music. Uh, That's the main thing. And um, I come back and I feel really good. And uh, I get my best ideas also on my bike. And uh, you've got to have a decent bike. It's no good trampling along on some stupid heavy mountain bike, straight handlebars. You've got to have the very light carbon fibre road bike, drop handlebars. You've got to be wearing cleats. Um, It's got to be uh, a comfortable outfit in terms of all the different types of weather because you know if you're going to be out for an hour or two um you need to en- enjoy it and be comfortable and you won't if, if you're uh, cold or if you're too hot or uh, yeah. or your bottom is sort of hurting on the saddle i mean i've got this brooks saddle which i was told would take a while to wear in and it's taken about five years oh <laughs> and for the first five years it was ridiculously uncomfortable and I kept complaining about it, and they said, well, no, stick with it. And now it is like, like sitting on a sofa. It's the most comfortable thing. It's still rock hard, but it's, it's moulded exactly to, to my shape. Yeah.
1: And in actual fact, uh, that's your go-to to keep your mental space. I talk about that non-stop on this programme. It's about keeping yourself above the line and keeping yourself well. And the minute something that drags you below that line, it just needs to go because your only job is to look after your mental well-being.
2: Yeah, and uh, i've now taken I think the- you've
1: definitely learnt that right do you think i
2: you know i'm 72 i cycle every morning i now add to my repertoire with a long walk in the afternoon which has got huge benefits it and has, again yeah. you get endorphins it helps the brain it helps your breathing it helps your joints it helps your vision even i've been told um it's I know everybody goes on about the exercise, the benefits, but the reason they go on about it is because it's, there's huge benefits, not only, you know, physically, but mentally. Yeah. Um, and, uh, that's kept me going through the years and I still, you know, still working. Um, you've got to sort of exercise your brain as well. Um, in terms of, uh, business challenges and, um, but it's a, it's a reasonable balance and, and I'm, fairly calm about it and you know I, I was driving the car round here to park and there's this guy in this porsche who started hooting like mad from me i don't know what i did and he was hands all over the place because i don't know maybe i didn't let, stop to let him reverse in or something but i mean it cost him like 10 seconds but that was me uh, you know when i was running a public company i was tense and edgy, and I couldn't wait for the lift. And I could see myself in that guy in the Porsche. And I'm rolling along quite happily in my Volvo, um, relaxed, not in any rush. A lovely day, and um, I feel sorry for him.
1: Yeah, that's insanely amazing. I think that I have a little saying. Um where your mind flows your body follows and you look great Mm. you know you say you're 72 but you Mm. look fantastic and you trim and um you know your sense of humor ever present which we always love Um, Now, i'm just going to take some music which you've chosen um today and that is i've never heard this before it's lovely Mm. it's sparks by the stave so let's just listen to a bit of gerald's choice here Mm. never heard that before and it's absolutely gorgeous so onto my playlist it goes thank you very much Uh, So welcome back to Your Life Your Way with me Deborah Fielding and we're listening to um, Sparks The Staves if you want to save that on your playlist as well and chatting here to Gerald Ratner and so my show's going totally AWOL this morning because I think it's so important to hear Gerald's story it's so important to understand that we beat ourselves up remorselessly over things in actual fact life isn't always like that it's your perception of it and once you get out into the world you and and make, take the small steps, take those small steps to recover or start something new or have an adventure. Um, life is different once you do that. Different things start to show up for you. So um, I've got a few questions come in. Um, I've got a question here that's it's the first one. It says, um, it's from Oscar. He asks, if is he too young to go into business? He's fresh out of uni or will be in the next few weeks and he wants to set up in sports business management is it okay to just go for it or does he have to go and get a job first like his mum and dad keep saying? Um, Well Oscar, like many of our questions that um, I get asked, I always want to ask you a few back to put some meat on the bones but my take on that would be to be uh, probably have a halfway measure and set up and get going, take your first steps and the rest will unfold but While you're doing that, you can work as a freelance worker or a contract worker or something like that, but we've got the master here in front of us, so why not ask him, what do you think about that, Gerald?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think in the olden days, when I was young, you couldn't do that, but uh, today you hear fantastic stories. But then... You know, it doesn't... These All these overnight successes, somebody just starting a business and being ridiculously successful, you read about them in the paper, but, you know, I'm very suspicious. I don't believe that um, things happen just like that. You get knocked down and uh, you have to get up and keep going. And my nephew was upset the other day because he'd been turned down for a job six or seven times in a row. And I said, well, actually... The average is that you, even if you're starting a new business or you apply for a job, the odds of you being turned down are actually 8 out of 10. So that's a fact. 8 out of 10 new businesses fail. So the fact you've been turned down 6 or 7 times is good because you're, the odds now are shortening. And by the time you get to 8th interview or your ninth interview, you might get the job. Um, the route to success is failure you've got to keep on trying and you will get rejected and the business will not work. But then one day it will and it will all be worth it. But the, the the trick is not to give up.
1: Well, and I think, you know, we could say you had your biggest failure, but you've pointed out this morning it's brought you out to the other side. Probably, dare I say it, a better version of yourself.
2: Well, I am happier now. I know I don't look happy. That's my face. (laughs) But uh, I'm. I didn't like to say it. No, I do have difficulty smiling. And smiling is very, very important. It's good
1: for you as well. It's good for you. I mean, when I
2: ran the health club, uh, I told all the staff to smile. You don't do anything else. When the the person arrives, your customer arrives, you smile and you're halfway there. And there's too many people walking around with miserable faces. Um, if, you're, you know, if you're running a shop, you have to have a smiley face and whatever you do, that's a tip. Uh, I know it sounds very basic, but it's often the basic things are the most important.
1: Well, and I think you just look a lot more approachable when you're smiling. You're a warmer version of yourself, aren't you?
2: Yeah, I mean, why do they say smile when you take a picture? Yeah, because, because no one wants look, to
1: look at miserable people.
2: No, you look better. Yeah. Um, there's some people like Posh Spice who always looks miserable in a picture.
1: I can't comment on that.
2: No.
1: <laughs> um, so I want to just say for you, Oscar, um, just keep going, really, because you're absolutely right, Gerald. I think, um, you know, this, the saying goes, and I've adopted it well and truly in my later years, is to fail fast and fail forward and just get on with it. I've been guilty in the past of holding on for thing, to things for dear life when really I should have just got rid of them. Uh, people, friendships, businesses you name it ideas I've had uh, they should have all bit the dust but you live and learn don't you and the only way to start when you're that young is to have a go
2: absolutely I mean I've had people always talk about my speech as my biggest mistake but it's a bit unfair really because I made loads of mistakes that I'm not credited for because I'm so (laughs) so big and I went to France and ran a jewellery business out there and it was a complete disaster because nobody understood anything I said even though I'd learned French Apparently I'd learnt the wrong French. It was conversational French and I didn't, it was corporate French that I had to learn where they talk very fast. And I that, think, that
1: on top of not smiling, you were doomed from the start, really.
2: Yeah, exactly. Uh, but, and then I did a shopping uh, in Tobacco Dock in London, uh, which was based on the Bicester model of uh, Factory Outlet. But the problem was that was in London. You, you know, if you're doing Factory Outlet, you have to be miles away from anywhere. Uh, so, I did loads of things afterwards that you know failed, and uh, but I have a motto you know if it fails, just start all over again,
1: yeah and don't beat yourself up for it um yeah. you know you'll might have some fallout from it, but that can be put back together again, and the fallout doesn't make you a bad person, and I think um you know for you lying in bed for seven years, you've You've been telling yourself a story of all kinds of manner of things that you found out were quite untrue. Yeah. Um, so let's not do a seven-year stint in bed is, is the motto. there. No, but about. it wasn't
2: all bad because there were some good programmes like <laughs> Countdown. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so you got, have you been on Countdown? I mean, you've got a case for going on Countdown, I think.
2: Yeah, I should do. Maybe I'll phone them up and ask them. But it's not as good since Carol Vorderman left. But uh, <laughs> no, I enjoyed that. And uh, I mean,
1: it was your saving grace, I think, in many ways.
2: Well, it was the highlight of my day. Yeah, Yeah.
1: something to pin on. And I think, you know, it's important we have that. I love this next um, question. Well, it's not a question, more of a statement, actually. Uh, Deb dropped a line to say that she has a... She she was a purchaser of a silver tray and glasses back in the day. And while it's a bit dusty just at the moment, it has stood the test of time, Gerald. Um, a couple of glasses have broken, but it's not as crap as you might think, she says. Mm. Um, she finishes with, she's glad you are doing well. So, you know, there you go. Your products are still out there living the dream. Oh,
2: yeah. A lot of my products are out there. And people often say to me that, you know, it's not true they're crap. But I never, apart from that one line she's talking about, I never said they were crap. In fact, in the same speech, I said that we've achieved what we've done by selling quality products but with quality staff. Uh, but we do one or two items that, uh, in fact, the Sherry decanter I inherited when I bought H. Samuel and was always critical of it. But, um, yeah, the, the, you, do, you don't get to 50% of the jewellery market by selling crap. You, you get to 50% of the jewellery market by selling quality products at affordable prices.
1: Yeah. Um, now Tim wanted to know. Uh, you've touched on this a little bit. Do you deal with failure very differently now to before? Uh, do you have a different stance on life? I mean, that's a lovely question, Tim.
2: Mm. Yeah, it is, and um, yeah, because uh, my attitude now is shit is going to happen. So I, I said crap. I could say shit. <laughs> I don't know whether it's allowed <laughs> or not, but I thought yeah. I uh, got
1: a d- knock on my door to tell me that yeah. I'd swore on my first show. So you know, okay. go ahead. I think
2: shit is pretty. <laughs> Acceptable in this day and age, right? you know, it's ridiculous that the BBC doesn't allow it anyway. Um, I've forgotten the question. Oh, yeah, yeah, I had to deal with failure. Yeah, I do accept now that um, life is difficult and that things are going to happen. And if you ever meet somebody who sailed through life without any setbacks, there's something missing in them, some lack of empathy or sympathy. You know, to be part of the human race, you've had to have um, suffered unfortunately. So you accept it's not a personal thing when things go wrong and you run out of money or you have an accident or somebody close to you, you know, is injured or something. These are the sort of things that happen every day in life. You are not going to get away with it. You're not going to get away with things not going wrong. They're going to go wrong. So you've got to. Uh, when in the olden days, I used to go mad because things went wrong. I now realize things are going to get wrong. That's it, it's how you deal with them. Uh, so when things go wrong and things you know have gone wrong big time for me uh, every even last year I had you know my sister-in-law died I lost my dog and um, you know I lost a lot of money during the pandemic but I wasn't upset about it because I realized that that is life it's not going to It's not going to be consistently good all the time. You know, enjoy the good times. You will have bad times. Life is messy,
1: right? You know, it is.
2: Yeah, yeah. So don't get, you know, these people who are now suffering for the first time because they've had 20 years of, you know, fantastic growth, are beginning to learn a lesson that this is just the norm. I mean, we're in the risk business, especially if you're not so much if you're a sort of, train driver or something I don't have a go at train drivers but there isn't a lot of risk in that but there's a lot of risk in
1: business yeah and I think let's be honest you learn more from your failures you don't learn as much when you're standing up receiving the awards it's a failures that you went through to get there to get the award that teaches you
2: yeah well I've received an award from the readers of nuts
1: magazine (laughs) I'm not even going to ask what that was about (laughs) (laughs) um so well look we're over and out here on your life your way. we're done for another day. I can't believe it. um thank you to the he is the one and only Gerald Ratner It's been an absolute pleasure to have you in the studio, even though you haven't smiled. um I wish you a ton more success and your next millions to arrive very quickly. Gerald. so thanks so much for coming in um Thank you so much to you for your questions. It's all about you it's your life your way always. And it's great to see you listening in to the podcast. Um search for River Radio's Your Life Your Way or Deborah Fielding, and click the favourite button so that you're notified when the next episode is up, which is usually like lightning, to be honest. Um, You can catch me this Saturday morning again with Little Miss Izzy Holmes. Um, I'm Deborah Fielding. I'm wishing you a week of breaking rules and getting out into your life and failing and standing back up. And we're playing out with a fantastic song from 1991. I can't believe it's from 1991. And that's Crazy by Seal.
0: A man decides after 70 years that what he goes there for is to unlock the door while those around him criticize and sleep. Fractal on a breaking wall I see you my friend And touch your face again Miracles will happen as we dream But we're never gonna survive We were friends at school.
2: Maidenhead, Maidenhead, Bracknell, Bracknell Wokingham, Wokingham, Henley, Henley
0: Reading. Okay, Ta-da. the voice, River Radio.